Good morning to all of you. Wishing you the best of this season, the time the Lord has granted us, and our engagement in this great and abiding work. To all of you, those I had a chance to uh, meet with yesterday, John and the committee to Pastor make us to, um, to all of you for just a warm and genuine and authentic welcome, I want to say thank you. I really, really appreciate you for opening your doors and for Pastor uh, Makers for inviting me to preach. Now, I took my cues from the children when it comes to preaching. And so, even when it's my time to sit down, I may continue to, to, to talk. But nonetheless, um, this is the Lord's day, and we thank God for God's spirit through Christ. I am excited for a number of reasons, and hopefully in the near future, I can share more with you about the work I do in the region relative to anti-racism and reconciliation and how that impacts our daily lives and what we hope to accomplish in the region. But for today, I, I do want to say just a bit about um, my introduction to the regional work, my introduction to the Blue Bonnet area, and, uh, and how I have become uh, a Texan. I am officially a Texan because I've been in the state for 25 years. And I have a pair of boots and, and a Western hat. I just didn't wear it today. But anyway, officially Texan. My home is in Georgia. I'm from Augusta, Georgia. I have been in ministry for a good number of years. So I love to preach, but I've learned over uh, the past 40 years of my preaching that um, I don't have to preach for an hour. I have decreased that time significantly. And so if you all would just pray with me uh, for the next uh, while, for the next while, and help me as I preach with what we know in the African-American tradition as call and response. And so you can say amen uh, whenever the Spirit leads you or when I pause for you to say amen. <laughs> and we're sure to get through this. This is a wonderful time of year. And I thought by sharing this text, we could kind of bridge Thanksgiving with Advent, this being the first Sunday of Advent, just having celebrated Thanksgiving. And so the text that I've chosen reminds me of just how close and closely related they are. Paul has always been significant for me, not just because of the work I do traveling now, but because of his, his heart, his, his mind, and his soul, and his commitment to the work. 
in all of his letters, Paul always opens up with a strong and confident affirmation of thanksgiving. I love that. I even uh, sign out now on my, on my signature line with my electronic email, my electronic mail, with grace and peace. And I got that from Paul. I, I believe we ought to greet and or end our conversations with something significant. And that does it for me. But for Paul, it was not, it was not just a formality. It wasn't a compositional formality. Thanksgiving for Paul springs forth always from his firm conviction that gratitude issuing forth in praise is one of the primary and necessary elements in the Christian view of life. Gratitude, being grateful, not just saying thank you, but being grateful is personified and persons know genuinely that you mean what you say. Gratitude is absolutely necessary for the Christian. And here's the definition that I got from uh, Rodney Hunter's uh, Dictionary of Pastoral Care and Counseling. He says that gratitude is the fundamental orientation for Christian life, the basic motive and perspective for all true worship and faithful living. That, that's, that's a mouthful, but it simply says, in this walk of life, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how far you've come, no matter how much you've grown, we can never outgrow being grateful for what God has done for us, with us, and or through us. It's like the, the lessons we learn as children. I know my parents were, were serious about our showing gratitude because parents, as much as we like our children to aspire to greatness and do great things, we want them to learn the basic lessons in life as well. Please and thank you, will still open many doors that, that degrees will not. And for parents, we all want uh, to know that our children are grateful, that they appreciate the sacrifices, and that they show their gratitude in behavior. And so those who have, been ex have, have experienced and been taught by some kind of deliverance who have experienced God bringing them through something, show that gratitude without being prompted, without being coerced, or without being led. When you're grateful, you're just grateful. And when you're grateful, it shows. It shows in your words and your behavior that you appreciate what God is doing. So Paul does that for us as, as he opens up this text. Excuse me, just a little. My sinus are acting up today, but that's okay. Um, absolutely, thank you. And we'll, we'll preach this out. So in, in the succeeding verses, he attempts to show his good opinion of the Christians at Rome. Why? This is first century Rome. This is, this is 
This is 20, 25 years post the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is, it is the height of, of world domination by Rome. It is the emperor who is, who is the end all, the, the one and end all for everyone. All roads lead to Rome. But here this sprinkling of a church has spawned, and not only has spawned, but has made impact. And so Paul wants to show his opinion of the Christians at Rome to prepare their minds for his exhortations and reproofs. Verse 8b says, your faith is spoken of and is celebrated throughout the whole world. That is to say, in every place, every place where the church has spawned, your faith is being talked about. Everywhere faith is professed, to, to talk about one's faith is to talk about one's life. Proverbs 22 and 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name goes the distance. A good name will help you when all else fails. In other, in other words, in fact, when it boils down to it, what do we have, what do we possess other than our word? Does, does our word mean something? Does what we say have impact and or import? Not only today, but does what we have said yesterday Blend with what we say today and what we will say tomorrow. Can our yeas be yea? Can our nays be nay? Can we be consistent in our day-to-day -day deportment? That's what faith is about. That's what Paul is saying. A good name. I am, my wife and I have three children, the oldest is with her husband and their two children in Georgia. We have a 20-year-old who has a daughter here, and our 18-year-old son is graduating high school in the spring, and we will help him make his departure to, to college. <laughs> and um, smart, just like your children, our children today are just brilliant. They, they really get it. And they don't have all of the trappings that maybe we had. I grew up in the late 50s and early 60s. We didn't have, but they are brilliant. So he has several colleges he's looking at. But my wife and I love the fact that we have groomed them, we've led them, and we believe they have taken to heart those teachings. You know, the, you know how you teach, what you teach, the sermons you preach. And, 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 and we believe that we have done well, but once they became tweens and teens and started, started going out and wanted to, you know, to, to socialize, and, the, and they should, but there's one thing I always shared with them as they left, and that is, remember who you are. No matter where you go, no matter whose life yours crosses, no matter who you interface with, remember who you are. And that will carry you a ways. The testimony of this church is based upon the sum total 
of the individual testimonies of those who comprised her. Those who are disciples here. The United Christian Church Austin is known, will be known as a caring church, a relevant church, and a church where the truth is found only if every disciple, every disciple, every member, every person loves others, cares for others, and speaks the truth to others in love. There can be no, there can be no resistance. There can be no pushing back. There can be no qualification of not exercising one's faith. There can be no, there can be no Monday morning quarterbacks. There can be no sideline officials. Everybody has to get in the game. Everybody has to get in the game. I thank God for what happened last week. I love that the Cowboys pulled it off. I hate that my boys lost yesterday to Alabama, but it was a good game. But nonetheless, we are all in. In the Old Dispensation, in the Old Testament, Nehemiah says, everybody on the wall, every, everybody on the wall, this is, this is the time to stand up for what you believe, what you understand. My abiding hope and fervent prayer for you is that God thinks of the UCC Austin family in the same glowing terms and wonderful terms that Paul spoke of the Roman church. Let your reputation reflect the spirit love and compassion for the lost and for the hurting. I heard that earlier. Let your reputation reflect the conviction, the reality that Jesus the Christ is the Lord of our lives. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody but Jesus. Verse 9 states, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit, that the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. In chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, we hear the words, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks, for it is the will of God concerning you. Prayer is always appropriate for the church. Always be willing to bathe your, your, your efforts in prayer, whether it is a, a meeting, whether it is a venture, whether it is a building project, bathe it in prayer. You can never lose with prayer. Prayer is the key that unlocks the door of faith. Pray without ceasing. I would hope that all of God's children and especially every disciple of this church felt that way for one another. God, help us to pray without ceasing. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you set aside definite times. And I share this with churches I work with, especially when they're in the search and call process, that the church pray regularly, whether in person or virtually, at some point every week or every day and at an appointed time, pray. But if 
that is not the case in your personal time, set aside definite times for the performance of this sacred duty. Constancy in prayer is needed. And then ensure that your prayer list is not consumed with selfish desires. That, that it's, it's not always about wanting. And I, and I, and I have, I've been doing this long enough to know and discern all that name it, claim it, wish, sow a seed tonight, reap in the morning and give this and God will bless you. That's not, that's not the way prayer works. God wants us to be in relationship with him. When we are, we are assured that he hears our prayer. It's, it's like a mother with, with an infant. A mother's ears are attuned to an infant's cry because sometimes the cries are different. A cry when the, the, the baby needs changing, a cry when the baby is hungry, a cry when the baby is sick. They're different, but a mother's ears are attuned to those cries. When we pray, when we cry out to God, God hears our prayers. So no selfish desires. Let us be charitable in our prayers. Pray for others. Pray for pastors, other pastors, other churches, other students. Pray for other teachers. Pray for others. Pray without ceasing. If you read Matthew 6, where we, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but nowhere in that prayer are there any eyes or minds. It's all us. An hour. It is, it is the collective that makes a difference when you are part of a corporate body. Finally, Paul had heard so much about this church that not only did he thank God for them and pray for them, but he had a great desire to see them. He had an enormous longing to become better acquainted with them. Paul loved the church. And he knew this church was special, the church at Rome. And he loved the fact that he knew Christ to be the head of the church. So he much anticipated and wanted to visit this congregation he'd heard so much about. And I kid you not, I kid you not, UCC Austin United Christian Church there is so much spoken of that is so glowing in terms about who you are. And, and I've only visited here once before, but, but, but I know of your work, I know of your hope, your aspirations, and so it is my absolute joy to be here with you today. I've, I've wanted to do this, and, um, and so I, I, I hopefully I'll be back to preach again. So I, I, I've dubbed this sermon the first installation in a series. So if you want it all, then I've got to come back. But here, here, here are the three things, and I'll be, I'll be done. The three reasons he really wanted to visit, what he wanted to accomplish in his visit. First of all, verse 11 says that they might be edified. That is to impart some spiritual gift that, 
that he would help them become more of who God had called them to be. His head and heart would impart spiritual gifts. This is a reference to his preaching. Preaching is a gift. To receive a message is a, is a reception of a gift. And a sermon is a great gift. And it helps lead to the formation and claiming and embracing of your spiritual gifts. And I, I know you all know that, that all of us have gifts. All of us have at least one. And if you want to know what yours is, look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. And then look at Ephesians chapter 4 for the gifts that the Lord Jesus gave the church. But we all are gifted which is different from talents, but the gifts God grants us and gives us and expects us to utilize are listed. We are all gifted. Everyone has something to give to the kingdom, to display and to demonstrate in the kingdom. It's not, it's not a fanciful ride on a merry-go-round. It's not a braggadocious effort to suggest we're more than we are. It is intended to help us serve, to lead and to serve, to help make and allow God's kingdom, Scripture says, to be on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's what it's about. Our spiritual gifts to the end that they might be strengthened in the Lord, that as they grow upward in the branches of the tree of life, they would also grow downward in the roots of the very same tree. The best of saints while in such a shaking and trembling world as this, need to be more and more strengthened. We need an unshakable faith. Spiritual gifts help that. Just as Paul knew the church at Rome was subject to all of the whims of the empire, the, 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 the whims of the Roman dictatorship, so are we subject to it from the world perspective. Though we don't discourage, we don't, we don't become undone because of it, because we know in whom we believe and we know whose power abides in us with him. We don't despair because of it, but we do understand that there is a delineation between the world and the church. And the church can never succumb to the whims of the world. We must walk by faith and not by sight and not be overcome ever because of what things appear. The elders used to say this. I used to hear my grandparents say it, didn't know what it meant then, but I understand now. We, we, we may not understand it all. We may not get it all. We may not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. The world is in the hand of him who created everything. He is the creator of the ends of the earth, and he never faints, and we can depend on that. So first of all, he wanted to visit to help them be edified. Secondly, his visit would be for his own comfort. Get that. Paul learned to take comfort in the fruit of others. Do you ever, have, have you ever known persons, and I know pastors, preachers all over this country, and many of them 
they, they, they believe for whatever reason they are the creme de la creme. They believe they, that nothing moves until they get there. Nothing goes on until they arrive. And if they're not on program, they won't show up. I don't understand that, but there are some who do. Paul learned to take comfort in the fruit of the labor of other ministers. By mutual faith, he says, both you and me. That is our mutual faithfulness and fidelity. He goes on to say that I might have some fruit. In order for that to happen, you must be willing to rub shoulders with one another. You must be willing to be close to one another. Scripture says that iron sharpens iron, but it cannot sharpen unless it touches. We must be willing to become close with one another, no matter what our orientation is, what our background, culture, what our identity is, what we understand, where we've gone to school, how we've traversed the skies and traveled, doesn't matter. We must be willing to rub shoulders with one another. If I, if, if I don't wear the same cologne you wear, if, if you don't wear the same perfume someone else wears, or if we don't wear any, we've got to rub shoulders with one another. I say that literally, literally because I remember the first church I pastored at home in Augusta. One Sunday, out of the blue, God sends into worship. A young man who was disheveled, he appeared to be homeless, didn't know that, but I didn't know he was disheveled. I, it, it appeared that he may not have been the most fragranced. And he walked in the middle aisle and down the aisle during the middle of the message and no one no one assisted him and and I didn't stop to chide anyone but it it became very apparent to me that we don't always get it that this walk is not necessarily about us walking alongside those who are just like us or who sing the way we do or pray the way we do or not that, that, that everyone is welcome in the kingdom and that we must be willing to rub shoulders and show faithfulness to all of God's children when they come. And even if they don't, when we encounter them in the highways and the byways and those who make their beds under bridges, who sleep along embankments, who cover, whose cover is cardboard at night, who have no place to sleep. We must be willing to show good faith and courage and courtesy and help and hope to all of God's children. So he wanted them to know that we must rub shoulders with one another, that we must be willing to sharpen ourselves with one another. Everyone benefits when we do that. Lastly, he says, and I love this about Paul, he says that his visit was to discharge his trust as an apostle to the Gentiles. And you all remember on Damascus Road what happened with, with Paul. You remember how once his life was changed, later on other apostles and people in the church didn't want to have anything to do with him because of his past. 
And even Ananias in Acts chapter 9, when, when the Lord leads Paul without sight to Ananias and, and tells Ananias to anoint him. And Ananias says, you, you can't be serious. This is the guy. This, this, this is the guy. This is the one who destroyed the church, who attempted to hurt and harm and took people out and arrested. And This is that guy. You can't be serious that you want me to anoint him. And the Lord said, Ananias, you don't understand. He is my chosen vessel for the Gentiles. I have called him to move beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the, to the uttermost parts of the earth. He is the one who will take the word to those in, in the far places, in, in Europe and in Asia. Yes, I do want you to anoint him. We must be willing to understand that when God calls us, he anoints us. And as he says in verse 14, Paul says, I am a debtor. He, he knew that every talent, every gift, every blessing he had received was to be used for the master's honor, for the Lord's honor. Paul knew that his life no longer belonged to him. And for us, all, of all the things we've received, all of the great and manifold blessings, we ought to be reminded of our indebtedness as stewards of the Most High God. We are stewards of all that he has entrusted to us. There's a song that certainly wasn't around when Paul was preaching, but it would capture his, his sentiment and thought. It says, I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I am, everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. Yes, he wanted to fulfill his obligation as an apostle, as a debtor. When you read Paul's epistles, he always begins with Paul, a servant, Paul, a slave, the Greek word doulos, the, that, that, that I am no longer my own. He always talks about being a servant, and when you serve, you understand that it's no longer us. Jesus said himself that even the Son of Man himself had come to serve and not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Paul was ready to preach the gospel to the church at Rome. Verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But I'd like to close with what Paul says in chapter 8. He always, in the beginning chapters of his work, give you doctrine and or theology but he, he closes out by putting some flesh on the bones. And chapter 8 really captures that for me. So he says, in chapter 8, where he takes 
foundational truth for unshakable faith and in this world that teeters and totters on the brink of destruction and annihilation and persons who are willing to throw the baby out with the bath, we must have and demonstrate an unshakable faith. The foundation for that faith, Paul takes to its spiritual height after declaring in verse 28 of that chapter that for the Christian, everything that happens with him and or her in life is relative. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose means everything is relative. God never intended through Christ that every day was going to be an on top of the mountain experience but he did declare that all things are relative and work together for our good. All things work together. For those whom foreknew, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. But he ends with these piercing questions that I want to leave with you. He then says and asks, what then shall we say to this? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Another question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He answers, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't that something? Isn't that good news to know that we're not just soldiers, we're not just fighting the good fight of faith, but we are more than conquerors. And I take that to mean that because the assurance is already given that, that the battle has already been fought. The victory has already been won. We need to just make sure we stay in the race, in the fight, because it's guaranteed. There is no, there is no, possibility of losing with Christ because it's already done. It's a done deal. It's like watching a, a, a filmed version of a football game that's already gone. You know who the winner is. You're just watching for the excitement. And then he goes on to say, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death, angels, nor principalities, nor power, 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing on this side or the other shall be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus is my prayer. The words of a hymn come to mind as I take my seat. It's because of Calvary, make no doubt about it, and even with Advent, we know that Jesus was born to die. Old Testament and New Testament. But the hymn writer uses these words, and it always helps me. God gave his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy our pardon. An empty grave is there to prove our Savior lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds my future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but thanks be to God, we know who holds tomorrow. 